Hey, this is part two, and I'm going to do a little overview of part one. If you weren't here with us last week, to catch you up so you don't feel like you're missing out on anything. But we're in a series titled Just Like Jesus, and our scripture is found in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. I'm going to read those to you this morning. Now, by this, we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in him or live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. So that's where we're getting just like Jesus. And if you're wondering, what's God's call for our life? What's the purpose for our life? Romans 8 and 28 through 29 give us this purpose, that our purpose is to look like Jesus. It says here that we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. For God knew His people in advance, and He chose them to become like His Son, so that His Son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So our purpose in life is really to become like Jesus. It's to be just like Jesus. And so let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house. We thank you, God, for those who came yesterday and served so valiantly and cleaned up the parking lot and shoveled off the the driveway areas and, and the walking areas and and cleared out the ice for us even this morning, God. We thank you for those folks who would do that. Thank you for Brian and Terry and for Jacob and Sam and all of the others that were out here helping and serving. God, we just thank you for so many amazing servants in the house of God, people who love you and love your house. And so today we're in here today um, because they came and they served and we were able to get into the parking lot and walk across the parking lot and make it into the doorway. So we're grateful for that. So Jesus, help us to take advantage of this opportunity we have to be in your house, to hear from you, to be in your presence, to learn of you, to know you more. I pray that by the end of this service, we will have learned more about you and that we will look more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. Amen. I love Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 29. Matter of fact, Romans chapter 8 is one of my favorite portions of Scripture in the whole Bible. But there in verse 29, it says something in another translation. I believe the King James Version says that God foreknew and He predestined. The New Living, I believe, puts it the way we're saying it this morning. For God knew His people in advance, and He chose them to become like His Son. We believe in foreknowledge, and we believe in predestination. But we do not believe in predestination without foreknowledge. We do believe that God foreknew. In other words, He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the Alpha and Omega. He knows the beginning just as well as He knows the end. And so God, who knows those who will accept Him and receive Him, He foreknew those He did predestine to be conformed into the image of His Son. So God knew you were going to accept Jesus, and so He created destiny for you. And that destiny is that you would become like Jesus. Now... In this life, we're not going to be without sin. In this life, we are going to sin. Matter of fact, John tells us, 1 John tells us that we will sin. And if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, even Christ Jesus. He prays for us. He intercedes for us. He is there interceding before the Father to make sure that none of our sins make it to God, but they are covered in His blood and in His prayers. And so we're thankful for that this morning, aren't we? Aren't we thankful for Jesus who intercedes for us? Are you grateful? And so it's, it's because of that that we are without sin, we are holy before God. 
But on the other hand, what God wants to do in our life is He doesn't just want to save us. He wants to change us. He doesn't want to just save us so one day we'll make it to heaven. He wants to change our lives. And I, I like to put it this way. Jesus, I believe, was a carpenter for a reason. I believe it's a perfect picture of the fact that just like a carpenter would buy a house that's in ruins and fix it up and refurbish it and restore it, Jesus, in the same way, buys us back and he restores, come on, the beauty of what God intended for our lives. Just in, like in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26, the Bible says there that God said, let us make man in our image. And so the whole purpose of God creating men and women was that we would reflect the image of God so that in us, God would see himself. And so that's the design of God. And so Jesus came not to just save us for heaven, but to restore to us the image that God wants us to reflect in the earth, which is, which is Him, which is His Son, Jesus Christ. So we want to be just like Jesus. And again, I told you, it's not that we will not be without sin, because 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 tells us this. It says, We, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory. It means we're going from glory to glory, from strength to to strength. We're not what we will be, but we're not who we used to be. Isn't that good news? And so I'm thankful for that. But when we see him, James 1 or 1 John 3 and 2 says this, when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall fully see him as he is. So there is a day when we will fully be like Jesus, but that's not today. We are with sin, sin is with us, and we are fighting this fight of faith against our flesh. And we are being transformed from glory to glory. And it comes from the Lord. And so in this life, it's not that we will be perfect, but we want to become more and more like Jesus. And I told you last week that in order to do this, we have to submit to the process. That process is called sanctification. And then we have to engage in the fight. In other words, we engage. We fight the good fight of faith. Paul the Apostle said, I fought the good fight of faith. And this third part I want to introduce to you today is that we have to obey the Word of God. James chapter 1 and verse 22 says, Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. The Word of God will do this. It will change four different things. If, you, if you're taking notes, write these down. The Word will change your attitude, your actions, your priorities, and your believing. Has anybody since you've come to Christ, it's changed your life? It's changed, okay, I, my gosh, I need more hands than that. Like, I'm going to run out of here scared for my life. Like, okay, I'm going to ask this question more. Is anybody, like, hands are scattered now. Oh, my God, yeah, I guess. But has anybody in this room, since Jesus has encountered you and you've encountered him, has your life changed? Okay, okay, thank you, God. I was a little concerned there for a second. It's still cold out. I guess you're warming up a little bit. So, but James tells us, do what the Word says. So the Word will change our attitude, our actions, our priorities, and our believing. And I told you, becoming like Jesus is an overflow of abiding with Jesus. We're not talking about becoming like Jesus by trying really hard to become more moral and, and do the right thing all the time. We're not trying hard to become like Jesus any more than a tree is trying to produce or bear fruit. We are just in Christ abiding, and as a result of abiding with Jesus... Fruit is coming. Our lives are changing. He is, he is becoming more. It's Christ in us who's the hope of glory. It's Him in us that's changing us. And we are reflecting as He grows larger in us. Like John the Baptist said, less of me and 
more of Him. As, he's, as there's becoming more of Christ in us, we are becoming more like Jesus. And so, becoming like Jesus is the overflow of abiding with Jesus until we love others more than we love ourselves. We talked about how I believe that Jesus was able to remain without sin in His life for 33 and a half years because Jesus simply came to serve and not to be served, to give His life as a ransom for others. We really stop sinning and we really begin to live the life that God intends for us when we begin to care about others more than we care about ourselves because most of our sin is because we care about us more than we care about others. And so today, I want to talk to you about obeying the Word, but I, I don't want to talk to you um, just simply about you need to read the Bible more because all of us could stand to read the Bible more, but I want you to understand how God sees the Bible because in order for you to receive from the Bible what you need from the Bible to change your life, you have to see the Bible the way God sees the Bible. You have to see it the way He sees it. Proverbs tells us, For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. For the way you think about the Bible will be what you receive from the Bible. Now, the Bible is a, is a, is a hot topic because a lot of people want to de- debate the inerrancy of it or the truth of it or uh, the reality of it or whether it's just a, a bunch of books that some people threw together or whether it's all supposed to be the way it is. I just trust God that if this is what He wanted us to have, then that's what we have. And so I, I trust Him, and I believe that He has protected the process to bring us His Word. I believe He has protected that process. It's so important to Him that He has protected this process. Matter of fact, His Word is so important to Him, He said, heaven and earth will pass away. But my word, come on, my word will remain. And so we believe that the Bible is inerrant. We believe it's the word of God. We believe that you really have to study it to know it. We believe that it's unlike any book that you have on the shelf at your home. It's different. Matter of fact, John chapter 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Verse 14 in that same chapter says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So we become like Jesus. Jesus is the Word. Right? Right? We become like Jesus. Jesus is the Word. The Word was in the beginning and the Word became flesh. Jesus became flesh. The Word became flesh. So we become like Jesus by abiding with Him. So we become like Jesus by abiding in His Word and with His Word. We cannot become more like Jesus without the Word. But that doesn't translate into just read your Bible more. I want to talk to you about the way we see the Bible today. First of all, the word from the beginning. It says in John chapter 1 and verse 1 again, it says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word from the beginning. You cannot bring a mindset to the Bible that says, I know the Bible says, but I think. Because the Bible precedes you and everything else, We let God be true and every man a liar. And so I can't come to the Bible with this idea that, yeah, I'm going to read it and I'm going to get some good things from it. But if I don't agree with it, I'm going to do what I feel like I should do. No, you weren't from the beginning. You can't trust yourself to be more wise than Scripture. (laughs) Okay? All right. All right. Okay. I'm not expecting a whole lot of feedback today because this is going to hurt a little bit. But again, and then it says the word became flesh. So the word from the beginning, 
Jesus manifests Himself in and through us by His Word. This book, I said it, and I'll say it again, it is unlike any other book you will ever read. It's unlike any book that's on the shelf in your home. This book is alive and it's active. It's living. Hebrews 4 and 12 says, For the Word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. You need surgical precision and surgical utensils to divide between joints and marrow. The Bible is a tool that does surgery on our life. The Bible goes into your soul, it says. It goes into your spirit. It goes into your joints. It goes into your marrow. Literally, the Bible gets into your DNA. Scripture gets into your DNA. Now, why do you need it? Why do you need it to affect your DNA? Not just your mind, but your DNA. Literally, your nature, your makeup. Why? Because you were born into sin. You were born with sin nature. And so, in, and for God to allow Himself to become more, you to become more like Him, He's got to get into your nature. There's a story in Mark chapter 7, I believe around verse 33, where they're bringing this deaf and this deaf man to Jesus and he cannot talk. And the Bible says that Jesus takes him to the side and he puts his fingers in his ears and then he spits on his finger and touches the man's mouth. Literally what Jesus was doing, he was transferring DNA. Jesus was putting his DNA in that man's body and as soon as the DNA of Jesus got into the body of that man, that man was healed. He was able to hear and he was able to talk correctly. And what God wants to do in our life through the Word is cause us to hear better. And when we hear better, we speak better. And so he wants to get his DNA in us. That's what God's Word is trying to do. But God's Word won't help you sitting on the shelf. It won't help you sitting on the coffee table. It has to get in you. When you... When you read the Word, the, the Bible is like any other book in history in that when you read it, you don't just read it. It's not a novel. It's not a book of stories. It's alive. It's active. When you read the Bible, the Bible reads you. Literally, the Bible attaches itself to the inside of you. You have to see the Word the way God sees it for it to do in you what you need it to do in you. If you just see it as a normal book, a religious book that's on your shelf, or you bring it to church with you, or you open it up when you need some advice for life, it will not take effect in you. It will not work in you. If you're just re reading it to fulfill some religious quota, or just, right, I'm a Christian, that's what Christians do, right? We read the Bible. If you're just reading it for those reasons, you're missing out on the greatest opportunity that you have in life is to have Scripture, to have His Word to give you life. Not just advice, but it gives you life. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 says, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the Word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the Word of men, but as what it really is, the Word of God which is at work where? In you. It's at work in you who believe. James 1 and 21 says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. That's why you don't want to go to a church that preaches over your head. 
You need to go to a place that preaches something that you can grab hold of, that you can, that gets implanted in your life. I don't need a word that's over my head. I need a word that gets into my heart and changes my life. I don't need a word that just makes me shout on Sunday. I need a word that makes me treat people better on Monday mornings. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So I need a word that's implanted. It gets in me. And the Bible says it's able to save my soul. I want you to focus in here for a few minutes. We're going to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. I'm going to show you how powerful the Holy Word of God, the Holy Scriptures are, and how they take effect in our life, and how we have to see the Word of God. Timothy is being written to by Paul here, and Paul says to Timothy, this young preacher, he's training him up, and he says, Timothy, you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So you notice that they're holy. They're able to make you wise. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. One translation says, Scripture is breathed by God. It's the breath of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete. How many people want to be complete? I want to be complete. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Notice, first of all, that in verse 15, the Bible says that you have known the holy scriptures. You have known the holy scriptures. It's not just holy in a sense of like, holy, right? Like, oh, you know, like off limits, like, you know, see it and it's just bright and shining. It's not in that sense that it's holy, although the Bible is holy, what the word holy there really means is not what the Bible is, but what it does. It's not, what, it's, it's, it's not telling us what the Bible is. Obviously, the Bible's holy. You look on the front, holy Bible, holy book. Bible just means book, by the way. It's, it's not fan- I was, I was Somebody was like, what does Bible even mean? It just, it just means book. Holy book. So, so it's holy, not just in what it is, but in what it does. It produces holiness. That's a word that's super lacking in church today. People are scared of that word because they remember a movement called the holiness movement where people told you how to dress, how to act, where to cut your hair, how much makeup you could wear, and all of this stuff. Told you when to stand, told you when to sit down, told you you couldn't, you couldn't wear this certain type of shirt, you couldn't have tattoos, you couldn't chew gum in church. I mean, you remember a movement of holiness. And that's not what God is trying to do at all. This is completely different. This is producing a holiness in you. What holiness is, is it separates you from sin and it separates you unto God. God is making you holy. Now you have been declared holy in Jesus. So when God looks at you, He sees you in Christ. But in this life, what He's doing through the process of sanctification, making you look more and more like Jesus, is He's producing a holy lifestyle in you. That not just you're holy in, in, in stance, but you're holy indeed. That we're equipped, thoroughly equipped for every good work that Christ has for us. So it's not just telling us what the Scripture is. It's telling us what the Bible does. When you read the Bible, literally what it's saying is the Holy Scriptures. When you read the Bible, it's separating you from sin and separating you unto God. Remember, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It has dual purpose. God is not just trying to get you out of sin. 
just so that you live over in a corner, isolated, and you know, with this bumper around you that says, no sin. No, God separates you from sin and separates you unto himself. In other words, God can separate you from sin and ask you to reach out to the alcoholic and the drug addict and because he separates you from that and then he separates you unto himself. So God isn't, God didn't save us just so that we would live this life like hunkered down and scared of sinners. God saved us to separate us from our sinful lifestyle. Not from sinful people. If he wanted to do that, he would have taken us home when he saved us. But he left us. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. So he separates us from our sin. He separates us unto him so that we can live like Jesus in the earth and be just like him. So that's what Holy Scriptures mean. So you have known the Holy Scriptures. They're able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Now listen to what Scripture is given for. All Scripture is given for doctrine and is profitable for. Doctrine for reproof, for correction, for instruction, and righteousness. So it says all Scripture is given by inspiration. In other words, what it means is Scripture is inspired by God. It's God-breathed. Remember I told you when, in, in Genesis, when God created us, He created us in His image. He breathed into us the breath of life and we became alive. And when sin separated us, separated us from God, Jesus came, brought us back to life again, and now His Word is, His word is like the oxygen of the believer. His word is the is literally the thing that keeps us breathing in and out. It's the thing that sustains us. It's not optional. It's it's not a it's not like an ad, it's not like an addition to my Christianity. It is part. I can't do Christianity. I can't do relationship with God. I can't do this without connection to the thing that gives me life. You disconnect me from the Bible. You've disconnected me from life. And the early disciples, they knew this. Jesus, when he was walking with his disciples in John chapter 6, verse 68, many people were walking away from Jesus. And Jesus turned and he looked at his disciples, his 12, and he said to them, are you too going to walk away? And Peter stands up and he says, Jesus, where else can we go? To whom can we go? You alone have the words that give eternal life. Your word is life to me. Your word, it's, it's my breath. It's the air I breathe. It's not just the thing that I do on Monday before I go to work so I can feel religious and keep God off my back. No, it's the thing that literally sustains me throughout the day. I'll never forget, years ago, we went on vacation uh, with our parents and um, the whole family went on vacation. And we were gone for probably 10 days or something like that. We were staying all together in this big house. And I came out the first morning and I, I, I'm... Not newly married, but we've been married, I think, long enough. I think Chloe or Judah, maybe Aaliyah is like a really small. And um, we, we're there, and I'm on vacation, right? So I just, I'm leaving it all at home. I've got the cell phone put away. I'm just leaving it all at home. And I come out one morning, and I am walk into the living room area. And there my dad is. It's about 6.30 in the morning. And he's sitting at the table, and he's got about three or four different devotionals. He's got the Bible open. He's got pens. He's got, like, highlighters. And I'm like... What are you doing? 
You're on vacation. He's like, son, I can't take a vacation from the Word. It's my life. For me at that time in my life, the Bible was just a tool I used to tell me how to do stuff. Tell me how to get what I wanted. And if I was having trouble, i go to the Bible. And the Bible was a lot of times just a grenade I threw at other people to manipulate them into doing what I wanted. I didn't realize at that time until I started to see that shifted my thinking. Shifted my thinking from, wow, this isn't just something you, you can't, you don't vacate from this. You don't take a break from God. You don't, you need his word every day to live. Like you've been saved a long time. You're telling me you still need the Bible? Oh, yeah. He's like, I need it more now than I've ever needed. It's become such a dependent. Like, if I were to disconnect myself from that, I don't know how I would survive. It's become part of my bones. It's become part of my joints. It's become part of my soul. It's become part of my spirit. It's in my DNA. It's changed everything for me. So you got to see it as inspired. God's breath is in and on his word. Genesis 2 and 7, Then the Lord formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living soul. 1 Peter 1 and 23 says, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring. It's living and it's enduring. Word of God. No wonder the Bible's under attack. No wonder the Word of God is under attack. Because the enemy doesn't want you to have access to life. No wonder, no wonder you struggle to find time to be with God because that's the source of your life. And so he'll do everything he can. He'll make you busy, get you tired, he'll overwork you. He will. Just to pull you away from his word. I've had people say that they need church so bad that they've rejected job offers just so that they could be in God's house on Sunday morning. They've done it. People have done that. People depend on God so much that He's literally become a part of the decision-making process of their life. He's not just an add-on to their life. He's not just an addition to their life. If you go to the foreign field, you can go in some houses and they'll have 20 or 30 different gods sitting on the shelves. You can preach Jesus and they'll say, yeah, he sounds like a good guy. And they'll take Jesus and they'll add him to the gods in their life. And I wonder how many times has Jesus been an addition to us? Just something to just make sure we got the ticket punch, make sure we got that settled just in case there really is a God. But I believe that he is so real and his word is so alive that it really can make all the difference in my life. I don't know if there's anybody in here. Maybe I'm just crazy. It's a little quiet in here this morning. So I feel a little bit cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs right now. But I I'm telling you, I have found this to be true, that God's word is really the life that I really need. It is. And the enemy attacks it. Listen, he attacks it. Why? Because it's inspired by God. And then it says it's profitable. It's profitable. You know what that word profitable means? That word profitable means useful. It's advantageous. 
In other words, what it's saying is it's inspired by God to give you an advantage. Where's, where's my advantage in life? Your advantage is in the word. It's inspired by God to give you an advantage in life. It's helpful. It's not going to hurt you. It's going to help you. Nobody gets to the end of their life and says, man, I would have had a really good life if I would just read the Bible less. I would have been a much better husband if I was just spent less time with God. Nobody does that because it doesn't work that way. People get to the end and they wonder, why didn't I take advantage of the relationship I had? Why didn't I take advantage of the friendships I had? Why didn't I take advantage of the God I had? Why didn't, why didn't I do that? And so we never get to the end of life and say, I wish I had less of God. We always, and I wish I would have given God more of my life so that I could have more of him. I've heard people say, I read the Bible, but I didn't get anything out of it. It's because you're reading it the wrong way. You can't read the Bible without faith. Hebrews 4 and 2 says, For us, unto us the gospel was preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them because they didn't mix it with faith. This word doesn't work if you don't put your confidence in it and your faith in it. You have to believe it. You don't read the word of God for information. Like I don't read the word of God for history for a history lesson. There's history in it, absolutely. I don't read it for information. There's information in there. Lots of good information. I read the Bible for impartation. I need it to get in me. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 13 says, We impart God's truth in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So it's profitable. It's an, it's an advantage. For what? It says for doctrine, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. For doctrine. Doctrine literally just means teaching. I have to come to the word of God. Willing to be taught. Some people don't get anything out of the word of God because they're just not teachable. They're in here now like. Because they know it all. What am I going to learn from some little boy up there with his skinny jeans, his little Converse shoes on? Get me out of here. Cracker Barrel's just warming up those biscuits and gravy right now. <laughs> Proverbs 17 and 10. Rebuke says, goes deeper into a man's understanding. It goes into a man than a hundred blows to a fool. So you could whoop somebody a hundred times. If they're foolish, they won't get it. But you could speak one word of rebuke to a man who wants understanding and it will shift and change his life. Your life is the desire to be taught away from changing. If your life isn't changing, it's because you're unteachable. Well, praise the Lord. I'm just going to keep on going. Hallelujah. Just a few things that just check your teachability. First of all, does anyone ever correct you and you not get angry? Does any, are people just afraid to correct you? When was the last time someone corrected you? If you can't think of it, it's not that you know everything. <laughs> it's just that 
people are probably afraid to correct you because you're not teachable. Are you able to point to measurable growth in your character? Or are you just the same person that you've been for a long time? Do you criticize your critics? Do you find it necessary to take moments to criticize the people that are criticizing you? Or do you just take criticism, let it roll off your back, and move on with your life? Hear it. You can, some, there is some truth in most criticism. There's some truth. Sometimes criticism is not just your haters. Everybody hating on me. You're not Drake. You don't have millions of haters. Get over yourself. You maybe have an aunt who doesn't like you very much. Just, <laughs> But most people aren't haters. Most, most people who try to help you are not hating on you. They're trying to help you. But do you have to criticize your critics? In other words... What I've, what I've noticed is in, in a lot of churches that aren't really progressing and moving forward, even in other, maybe a company or a business or even a family, is instead of looking at what they're doing wrong and trying to fix it or receiving criticism, they're constantly using moments like this. Well, let me tell you what boss so-and-so said about us. Well, bless God. Did you know that they... But if you can receive criticism and not criticize back, you're teachable. Do you know that you don't know everything? Do you know that? It's good for doctrine, so it's good for teaching. It's good for reproof. Reproof is such a cool word because it it means two or three different things. I'm going to give you the main definition of it. But reproof is proof or evidence or conviction. It's the first meaning of it. It's not just, I'm going to reproof you. No, it's proof or evidence or conviction. Literally means a certain persuasion. Do you remember in Romans chapter 8 where Paul says, I am fully persuaded that nothing can separate us from the love of God. That's what Scripture does for you. You read the Scripture, you read the Holy Scripture. What it does is it fully persuades you that God is who He says He is. Paul says in Romans 8, he says, he says, and because of this, what do we say to all of this? All of Romans 8. What do we say to all of this word that God has spoken? If God be for us, who can be against us? He was fully persuaded that God was who he said he was because of God's word. That's what God's word does for you and I. It fully persuades us That God is who He says He is. Because when He declares He's a healer and your body is healed, there's a connection that is made and you realize that God didn't just heal you, but He declared healing before you were ever healed. And so God is who He says He is. When you get delivered and God says He's a deliverer, it makes the connection that God said He was a deliverer before He ever delivered me. So His word is His bond. His word is his bond. And if his word is true, then I can 
I'm convinced of it. I am fully persuaded because of Scripture that God is who He says He is. I'm not fully persuaded of Scripture because some scientist has proven to me that the Bible is accurate and there is no inaccuracies or there's, it's just perfectly put together and all. I'm not convinced in the Bible because of that. I'm convinced because what I've heard God say about Himself in His Word has become a part of my experience and now I have conviction. I am fully persuaded. I am fully persuaded. What it does is because of that, it drives out fear. When you read the word of God and you take it in, it drives out fear. It drives out fear. So it's good for doctrine. It's good for reproof. It's good for correction and instruction in righteousness. You know, the words correction and instruction are so closely linked, and so I won't break them both down, but I'll, I'll put them together. Correction and instruction, they, they both mean to make right. One means to make right by uh, chastening or by discipline. We know that Hebrews 12 and 6 says that for whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Every now and then serving the Lord, you're going to get a good Solid spanking. That's what it says. You can get angry at that if you want to. God loves us. Well, a good father who loves his children will discipline his children. It goes on to tell us there in Hebrews, if you're not being disciplined by the Lord, then you don't belong to God. Somebody said, okay, I'll take the discipline. I, I'll take it. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. It sets us right again. It literally sets us up straight again. It puts us in the correct moral posture. Because sometimes in life, you're going the right way. And then sometimes you, you get out of alignment. It's like you're back. Sometimes you're just moving along good. And as you get older, you could just be washing your face with a washcloth. And your whole back break down. And you go to a chiropractor and they just pop you back in. And you go to a massage therapist and they just bring everything back into alignment. That's what the Word of God does for you. It corrects you. It brings you into alignment. It, it does this. It improves your life and character. That's what God's Word does. Have you ever heard somebody say, that person just doesn't get it? They just don't get it. It just because, listen, you can, it's like I said, that verse in Proverbs, it says you can whoop a fool a thousand times and they just don't get it. You can go to jail and not change. You can come to church and not be transformed. Just showing up isn't going to change anything. You have to let the word get in you. You have to take this time in the service seriously. You guys, sometimes you got to look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, you need to leave me alone. You need to stop talking to me. You need to get out of my ear. I don't have time to hear about what Sally said to Johnny. I don't have time to hear about what they wrote on Facebook. I don't have time for Twitter nonsense right now. I don't have time to be surfing the internet while I'm in church. I need God's word to get in me. And that right there is a correction. Somebody on their phone. What did he just say? Is he talking? Did he see me over here on my cell phone? What that is, is a correction. And when you're corrected, you can either get ticked off or you can get happy. 
Because you know that when you get corrected, you're now walking in the right posture. Nobody's, nobody's mad at the person who fixed them. Nobody's mad at the one who changed their life, but you have to see it that way. People, people that don't like the Bible, they don't want to be corrected. Because the Bible is full of correction. The Bible is full of reproof. Proverbs tells us, it's just simple stuff like, don't hang out with angry people. Just simple words of instruction and warning. But we know better. I, I can do it. Like, I'm different than anyone the Bible is talking about. Like, I can hang out with angry people. I can do drugs. I'll be fine. I can have affairs and it'll be okay. I can... Again, the word was from the beginning. You were from 1962. That's not the beginning. The Bible knows... <laughs> the Bible knows more than you. So what it does is, as we read it, it cultivates our soul, and it leads to an increase in virtue. Hebrews 12, 11, and says this, it says, No chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. This is, this is God's word. So I don't just read it to fill up my life with some sort of religious experience or I got a devotional and it tells me I need to read from Psalm today and from Matthew and I'm, I'm trying to read the Bible in a year and just, no, I, I don't read it for information. It's in there. I get informed. I'm not reading it for history. It's, it's in there. I get history. What I need is impartation. I need the implanted Word of God. Some translations say engrafted. It's speaking of, you would know it is like a skin graft where they take a piece of skin and they put it, uh, maybe you had a burn and they take a piece of skin and they put a piece of skin onto your arm and it gets grafted in. It becomes a part and it's breathing from the same uh, level. It's, it's breathing from the same oxygen. It's receiving nutrients from the same cells. It's 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 in it's connected it's grafted in it's a part of you it's what god's desire is for his word in your life it's not just a book of good ideas it's a book of god inspiration it's god inspired it's god's breath to your life you breathe in his word you breathe out his word breathe in his word, you breathe out obedience. You want to obey better? You want to be more like Jesus? You got to breathe this inspiration in. Because you'll exhale what you, when, when you, I was, I was at, I was at gym when I first started back at the gym and there was this guy that was coming to the, to the gym for a while and it had been about six months and he looked exactly the same. I was like, something's not right. And one day I got in my car and we were getting in our car at the same time and we were driving home. And as we were driving home, he pulled into a Dunkin' Donuts. I was like, that's the problem. 
really want your life to change, you can't eat a ham sandwich while you're on the treadmill. If you want your life to change, you've got to begin to breathe in the right thing. And, and this, this series is, is, again, it's not about moralism. It's not about do-goodism. It's not about, it's not about that. It's about a switch in motive that leads to God-like activity in your life that becomes effortless. It's, it's like a transaction. It's like you breathe God in, you breathe Him out. You receive His Word, you do His Word. James says, receive the implanted Word of God. Don't be just a hearer. Don't, don't, just, don't just sit in the room and listen. Receive it by faith. Say, God, as I'm reading this word, I want this word to get in me. So I'm going to be teachable. I'm going to read it and I'm going to, I'm going to actually not give my opinion because my opinion doesn't matter. Matter of fact, God doesn't even care about my opinion. I'm going to read it and I'm going to listen to what it says. I'm going to receive its doctrine. I'm going to receive its reproof. I'm going to receive its correction and its instruction. And it leads to, it leads to, it's the overflow of correction, instruction, the overflow of good doctrine, the overflow of the reproof of God's word is righteous living. You want to be more like Jesus? Abide with Jesus. How do I abide with Jesus? In the beginning was the word. Jesus is his word. Abide in his word. Jesus told us in, in the Old Testament, he said, when I, when, when I come, I'm going to give you a new heart, a heart that longs to do my, my word, a, long, a heart that longs to do what I tell you to do. This isn't about you trying really hard or trying to fix yourself. No, this is about allowing the word of God to transform you, to have its power at work in your life. It's powerful. It's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It gets into your bones. It gets into your joints. It gets into your DNA. So, Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that there would be a new level of understanding of who you are, what your word means, who your word is, what your word is, not just what it, what it is, but what it does. It, it's active, it's powerful, it's, it's everlasting, it's enduring, it's, it's timeless, it's perfect, it's, it's relevant in every day, in every culture, in every nation, in every language. It's relevant. It, it's active. It's moving. So Father, in Jesus' name, I, I just personally, I, I declare to you that in 2016, I'm not going to try to be more like you without abiding more with you. I want to be like Jesus, but I cannot do this by myself. I need you. So in this new year, I'm declaring my dependence on you. By saying that I need you to wash me, cleanse me, save me. I need you to work with me in this process of sanctification. But I understand, God, that I have to work with you. The Bible tells me to work out my own salvation in fear and trembling. It's not telling me to, to work for my salvation. It's telling me to work out my salvation. So I have been saved by grace through faith. But now that I'm saved by your grace, help me to work out my salvation. 
helping me to engage the process and to walk by faith and to hear and obey and do what your word tells me to do. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Would you stand with me today and let's just sing for a moment. Let's just bless the Lord. Let's just breathe him in just for a little bit. Thank you.